0: Hello and welcome to Trek in Time, the podcast that takes a look at Star Trek in order and in history. What do I mean by that? I mean we're going to be taking a look at each episode in chronological order. We're also going to be taking a look at things that were going on in the world at the time of the original broadcast. We'll also be taking a deeper dive into something about the episode or about the world that was that was around the episode. And it all depends on what catches our eye. And now you're wondering whose eyes... Am I thinking about whose eyes am I gazing into deeply? Those dreamy eyes. These dreamy, dreamy eyes. Well, it's my eyes. (laughs) I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a writer. I read some sci-fi. I've got a couple books. I've got a couple picture books. And with me is my brother, Matt. Matt is the guru and inquisitor behind the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell, which takes a look at emerging tech and its impact on our lives. So together, we've got a left brain, right brain thing going on. (laughs) <laughs> before we get into the episode I wanted to share a comment from a previous episode Matt do you want to share the listener thoughts with with us
1: yeah we heard from giant hogweed lives which I gotta tip my head to that name uh both flocks and archer are correct in that they reject eugenics oh by the way this is about the dear doctor episode Interfering with evolution and playing God are two sides of the same coin, and this explains our wariness towards GMOs. By the way, I don't think the species can die out due to genetic diseases. This seems like a contrived plot. I agree that this episode was enjoyable with the same elements that made TNG
0: so great. I, I really liked this comment. I think that they hit on something that I noticed in the episode too, which it did feel like it had spiritually... A next generation style to the storytelling which it felt like the same story could have been taking place in any of the star trek incarnations as opposed to a lot of the enterprise stories that we've seen so far which seem to be dealing with humanity is kind of stumbling out into space yeah i did have some thoughts though about the idea that a species can't die out due to genetic diseases uh, I l- did a little bit of research and genetic diseases may be the wrong framing for this. It's a little bit more akin to genetic extinction. And according to what I found, genetic extinction is defined as the irrevocable loss of genetic diversity, which can occur after local population extinction, provided that some populations survived. Effectively, You limit the size of the population drastically enough and the variety within the genes is not diverse enough to allow for enough mutation over time and you end up with then a narrowing of the bandwidth effectively within the genetic diversity, which leads to over time a dwindling of the ability to sustain itself as a population. That leads to extinction. So it's possible that within the framework of this episode, You could say at some point in the past, there may have been some kind of mass extinction event in that one species of humanoid that led to a narrowing of their diversity, which then over generations has now created this cliff event of they are potentially now going to hit that point where it's going to be a tipping point. And I didn't get the impression that it was a manufactured science it didn't it didn't feel to me like it was made up that extinction events do happen and they may not look like this because we are not aware of them happening among intelligent species like humans but Mm -hmm. historically extinction events can occur and it wouldn't necessarily be something like a say an asteroid hitting the planet being the only cause of this level of extinction.
1: Well, I mean, in in the thing that you put in our notes is genetic variation doesn't rebound from a decrease as quickly as population size. Does is this in isolation from like let's say you don't have enough genetic diversity and some kind of outside force hits you and you aren't able to overcome that thing like a disease or something? I think it would be because you don't have.
0: I think it would be a that would be a sort of reverberation effect where that would magnify the effect that was already taking place. One of the, the pieces of research that I saw was there's a lot of concern among uh, environmentalists around certain populations of certain animals like cheetahs, where the population has hit a point where it's small enough that there's not enough diversity that even yep. if they keep cheetahs reproducing, their, their window is closing for actually being able to turn the corner and come back as a populated species that yeah. they may have passed a point toward extinction that can't be reversed.
1: Yeah, the, the reason i bring this up is like th- this is existing. This is a problem that we're having with food. Yeah. Um, there's, there's one type of banana. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to take much to wipe out the entire banana population if a disease hits it. Um, apples is another thing. We used to have hundreds of species of apples um, f- based on all different regions of the world. And now we're down to something like less than a dozen. Yeah. And so it's like it's going to be very easy for the apple, popu- apple population just to be wiped out by a disease that could just ravage it. Yeah. So there may be a point in the future, 50 years, 100 years from now where bananas and apples don't exist. It's like there is the possibility of that happening because there's not enough genetic diversity.
0: Yeah, I know in, that the banana the, the, we grow. Banana research is including trying to figure out how to take the there's a certain disease that impacts the bananas that we eat but it doesn't Mm -hmm. impact a banana that we don't eat because that banana is not palatable to us and it's not easily Hmm. digested. And there's research going on on trying to figure out how to splice the disease defense markers from the unpalatable banana, but keep the palatability of the bananas we eat and consume. And the same research that I saw around that linked back to the fact that there used to be a different type of banana that people used to eat, which is now gone. Right. It's just, it it disappeared. I think it was some point in the thirties. Mm. So today's episode is shuttle pod one. This episode was directed by David Livingston. It was written by Rick Berman and Brian Braga, and it aired on February 13th, 2002. It had 5.3 million viewers. So it's a little bit down from the previous week. But at this point, the show was competing with a little thing called the Winter Olympics in Utah. So you can't really blame the show for the fact that a event as large as the Olympics was going on. And what was the world like when this episode aired? Well, once again, and we won't throw any shade at Nickelback, <laughs> How You Remind Me was the number one song. The number one movie this week was Collateral Damage. It brought in 15 million, which is... Not a lot, but considering that February is typically the movie graveyard where yeah. movies are shoveled in that Hollywood doesn't know what else to do with. This is a 2002 American action thriller, and it was directed by Andrew Davis and starred Arnold Schwarzenegger, Elias kodias Francisca Neri, Cliff Curtis, John Legazamo, and John Taturo. The film was released in the United States on February 8th, 2002 and is the story and this is another movie matt that i feel like somebody opened up a portal to an alternate reality i had no memory of this movie whatsoever really
1: i remember seeing it in the theater
0: zero memory but it's the story of (laughs) los angeles firefighter gordon brewer who is played by arnold schwarzenegger another in a long line of arnold schwarzenegger's characters who are just typical american american names like gordon brewer but His thick Austrian accent is unexplained. And it's the story of Mr. Brewer trying to avenge his son's and wife's deaths at the hands of a guerrilla commando by traveling to Colombia and facing his family's killers. And one of the things about this movie that I thought was interesting is the original script was supposed to be the same plot line, but would have been set instead of in Colombia, in Libya. And it would have addressed American policy in the Middle East, And the director decided with the screenwriters that they would change the location because Columbia had not been used as often. And then the movie was delayed because it was originally supposed to be released in October. And it was too close to the September 11th attacks. Hollywood felt like the story would have not done well in that political climate, especially considering that the movie was supposed to start with a bombing of a new york city skyscraper so it cost 85 million to make and overall made 78 million so it was not a successful film and with an opening weekend of 15 million that's not a high that's a not a high mark for a movie that cost 85 million and the most viewed television was unsurprisingly the winter olympics which had 31 million people viewing it on its high point that week which was monday and from the headlines new york times was still discussing the enron scandal the enron chief was appeared before the us senate and was harshly criticized which of course at that point that's all political posturing it's just a bunch of senators taking an opportunity to look like they're looking out for the little guy also in the news was an inquiry was started around the judging of olympics figure skating and i don't know if you remember this matt this is because in the pairs figure skating the russian team was given the gold over the canadian team while the canadian team had performed such a moving performance that the crowd and viewers and the commentators all felt like they had clearly nailed gold Mm -hmm. and there were concerns that there was some sort of impropriety going on in the scoring That allowed the Russians to walk away, even though the performance wasn't as well received. I remember that. And finally, also in the news on the front page of the New York Times was Colin Powell stated that the U.S. was looking for ways to topple Saddam Hussein. This is, of course, this is February 2002, just a few months after September 11th, but the Bush administration was already looking for ways to take out Saddam Hussein. And this will go contrary to the arguments made much later after we actually did invade Iraq and end up not finding any sorts of weapons of mass destruction. Retroactively, there would be lots of arguments saying, no, 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 the invasion of Iraq didn't have anything to do with 9-11. But clearly, it was already on people's minds because it started so close to the event. The last headline I wanted to talk about was a story about Slobodan Milosevic, who was being tried for effectively war crimes, the chief prosecutor of the United Nations War Crimes Tribunal accused the ousted Yugoslav leader, Slobodan Milosevic, of committing genocide and other crimes against humanity. This trial would go on for years. And in fact, Slobodan Milosevic would die before the trial was actually over. His verdict was never given he died on March in March of 2006 and there were thoughts that he may have either been poisoned or slowly poisoned himself in order to affect his health in an attempt to be released to go visit his family in Russia potentially in an escape attempt it was eventually decided that his body was studied closely and it was determined that there was no foul play but at the time of his death, he was effectively living in what seemed like a high-end apartment at The Hague. He had his own fax machine. He had computer access. He had the ability to get a hold of medications at his own choosing. So it is entirely possible that something was going on and that they eventually just put things to bed. I just found that story, the, the fact that the, the war crimes trial was just starting When this episode aired, but it would be four years later that it would come (laughs) to a conclusion with his mysterious passing. So back to the episode, Shuttlepod 1. Matt, you want to give us a synopsis? Sure.
1: During a Shuttlepod mission, Commander Tucker and Lieutenant Reed become convinced Enterprise has been destroyed and that their prospects of survival are slim. Much of the episode takes place
0: in a Star Trek shuttlecraft, obviously, Shuttlepod 1. Shocker. Before we get into talking about the episode man I'm I'm curious I'd like to flip what we normally do uh, visiting our thoughts and opinions about the episode at the end. I'm curious what was your overall impression of the episode.
1: Um, I'm curious what you're going to say but I like this episode a lot. I tend to like ship in a bottle episodes which are tend to be just very isolated. And this is basically this entire episode is basically just two guys in a small little cabin Mm -hmm. (laughs) for the entire thing. And it kind of gives actors a chance to kind of like, you know, stretch their acting muscles to have a little more character development. Um, it's a little more, uh, not slower, but like a little more deliberate in the storytelling than you typically get in a go, 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 go episode where it's jumping around from scene to scene and place to place. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I really prefer episodes like this where you kind of get a breather, a chance to get to know a couple of characters really well. So this, this to me, I, I love this episode. I
0: thought it was great. Yeah. There were a lot of, in my research, I found a lot of review, reviewer thoughts and, and fan base thoughts that, that rank this at the, at the top end in the big picture of Star Trek mm-hmm. stories that this is a very popular episode and people really like it. Um, which puts me on the outside looking in because you didn't like it i i'm not crazy about this episode for very particular reasons um so i'm I'm, i just wanted to get that out to see where you were so that our discussion can be informed in that way because i think it'll be interesting to to see what we both have to say about this right so the plot this episode starts on or about november 9th 2151 finally we've hit that point where we actually know when the episode is happening it's been a while since we had that on shuttle pod one commander tucker and lieutenant reed have been doing a weapons test and for whatever reason they were far away from the enterprise in order to conduct their testing and they sustained damage unexpectedly it's knocked many of the systems of the shuttle pod out and so they are not able to communicate and they are limping back to their rendezvous point with enterprise they're trying to get back there earlier than anticipated because of the damage that they sustained and as they approach in they seem to have a rendezvous point that is in the middle of an asteroid field which i'm curious as to why that was selected as a rendezvous point but uh they get back and find an impact crater and debris and there's one piece just large enough to be identifiable as part of the enterprise and they conclude that the ship has been destroyed i'm gonna take a break here now to interrupt and say this is the first part that makes me scratch my head
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and say uh they've recognized one piece of debris as identifiable from the Enterprise and immediately conclude that the ship has been destroyed. I, I, I get why they did because... They need to get to the heart of the story. I understand yes. that. Yes, yes. But... Okay. <laughs> the,
1: the, I, for me, that is not an issue. The more For me, the issue would be more along the lines of... When we find out why the enterprise is not there why would they not leave a beacon or something yes. Saying hey guys we're we're gonna be gone for 24 hours because we have to take this these people back because of this emergency that happened we're okay we'll be back at this start date or whatever yeah. like it's like I don't know why you wouldn't do that. To me that's the bigger what the yeah then that. that's, them that's part conclusion. of my
0: response to this is exactly mm-hmm. that because ultimately what they suggest has happened was that the enterprise left not only without leaving a beacon but without trying to communicate with the shuttlecraft which is possible to do they've already set up Mm -hmm. the fact that the shuttlecraft has gone a distance but it hasn't gone so far away Mm -hmm. that they would be completely out of reach. The moment that they would have tried to communicate with the shuttlecraft we have to leave and they got no response back there now would have been tension aboard the enterprise of oh my gosh we have to take these survivors to a different location but at the same time now we're worried about our shuttle. Yep. So there would have been that element. So to get to the point of tension of the show which is clearly like let's get two people isolated in a shuttlecraft. It feels like for me they set up a scenario that is so poorly thought out that immediately I'm having trouble getting into the episode. That's that's my experience. I'm already tripping over, like, what do you mean you see part of one bay door and you just now know that the Enterprise has been destroyed? If there's no other identifiable part of the ship anywhere around, you just see a bunch of debris, and I know they tried to build in, well, there's enough debris there because the alien vessel that the Enterprise was trying to dock with yeah. has been destroyed completely so they're looking at a massive debris field and seeing one piece that's identifiable but it's still it's just not enough to say well, like, okay from the enterprise they they would be like let's just leave that shuttlecraft behind we'll be back in time that doesn't make any sense I, I, to me
1: yeah it's the leaving them behind without a message that's the problem for me but th- like you just pointed out that crater was huge and it was filled with a lot of debris they have no sensors they're going off their eyes only they see a a number from the enterprise on the side of the thing. It's like, I can totally understand why they came to the conclusion they did. For me, that's not the issue. For me, the issue is the enterprise would not have left them there right. without any kind of confirmation or message or something.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> and for me, it would have been something as simple as when they we have a few scenes aboard the Enterprise showing their side of of how they're taking these survivors to their planet and how badly they feel about the experience of these survivors with the tragedy of the loss of the ship it could have been one simple line from to sato from archer to say something like did the bank beacon get deployed to let the shuttlecraft know where we are and then on the shuttlecraft they're saying our sensors and communication are completely down correct it would have taken like two seconds to come up with a we left a message behind did it go out okay and sato's like yep no problem as soon as they get within certain range of the rendezvous point they're going to hear that we are going to be back by such and such time and then aboard the shuttlecraft they're saying we have no means of communication we have no sensors they have no idea the beacon is even there Correct, And then when they finally do get their communications up and running days later, the first thing they should have heard was that beacon beacon. saying we are leaving. And then they would have been like, oh my God, the enterprise hasn't been destroyed. It's on its way to this other planet. They're never going to get back in time. You could have had the same tension, but explain it. And that's, that's where I have, I have a lot of the difficulty in this. Yes, I will agree with you on that. Yes. So aboard the shuttlecraft, Reed and Tucker are now completely alone and they have 10 days worth of air and they literally have an argument about, okay, what do we do? Tucker orders Reed to look at the stars, pick one and start going in that direction in the hope that they will get to a point where they can either communicate with somebody on a planet somewhere, or maybe they will pass somebody who's traveling in space but it is a argument that is revolved around do we just sit here and spin our wheels or do we try to go somewhere where we can find people to help us reed is immediately pessimistic about their chances and tucker Mm -hmm. keeps himself focused on making the ship work and reed is completely shutting down here is the next big hurdle for sean in watching this episode the selection process of the crew aboard enterprise which is the flagship of earth's starfleet how could a security officer have a personality that is so fragile that the moment that the no-win situation presents itself completely bottoms out and takes the approach of well we'll just sit here and die that is the appropriate response we should have i had a lot of problems with reed's response to the situation and the through line of his response through the entire episode oh i didn't i didn't
1: the initial response yes I was kind of like out of character for how quickly he was just like oh we're just gonna die there's something we can do um But when he was going through the rationale of, like, we'll never get to that planet. It's too far away. We'll never get over here because it's too far away. There's nothing we can do. There's no place we can go. I took it as it was within his character that we've seen all the way up until this point. Because he's always been this very rational, pragmatic voice in the show. And so it's like it felt very rational and pragmatic of, why are we going to waste all that energy and time trying to get over to to that planet when we're not even going to get close to it? So it's like, I I had no problem with it, but it came across as a little uh, um, nihilistic. (laughs) His his response was very, was a little too over the top for that immediate response. But the reason why I'm saying I didn't have a huge problem with it was by the end of the episode, there's a kind of a a loop back, a tie to why he ended up having that passionate response. Um, I don't want to talk about it now, but there's, he, he explains why he's been doing what he's been doing um at the end near the end it's mm-hmm. like it's it kind of ties everything together for me where my reaction at the t- moment was like that's a little too uh oh my god we're all gonna die but you can understand by the end why he, he was having such a hard time with it in my opinion
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> So we'll get to those reasons later on yeah. in the episode. But for right now, as we just mentioned previously, the Enterprise is having their uh the conversations aboard with Archer and to Paul discussing what happened with the Tesnian ship that they were trying to dock with, that there are only thirty-four survivors from the from the other ship. They are taking them back to their planet. It's gonna take them twenty hours, Mayweather reports to get to the other planet and then they'll return to meet the shuttle pod they have no idea the shuttle pod is already at the rendezvous point and this loops back to what matt and I just discussed like you don't leave a note you don't leave yeah. like <laughs> you know, just use your phasers and write in the side of the asteroid brb you know like you could <laughs> they could have done anything but they didn't they think everything is fine so they've left and Archer and sub-commander T'pal use a mini shuttle, which I thought was interesting. It's the first time we've seen them use the little, little tiny shuttle. Mm-hmm. Uh, they fly around the bottom of the ship. They are looking at the uh, bay doors that have been effectively just blown out by, by the explosion of the other ship. And it really sets up the attractiveness within within Star Trek of the transporter technology the ability of ships mm-hmm. to come alongside at a safe distance from one another and not have to worry about the technicalities of this kind of docking maneuver they were trying to dock with another ship when there was this accident and mm-hmm. it really kind of demonstrates a technological advance that was a very silent safety thing in all the other yeah. shows in the future all the episodes that are supposed to take place after this where you see the people transporting back and forth and it's no big deal like here in this world the they were choosing a thing that was ultimately more dangerous because yeah. of familiarity they were using shuttlecraft instead of using the transporter. It's at this point that T'Pol reveals that she is beginning to speculate that it might have been a micro singularity that was the cause of the damage to the other vessel that led to the explosion. And this is a minor point in the big picture of the episode, but I couldn't help but wonder why Archer was so dismissive of this idea. He kind of teases her around this thing saying like, well, Vulcans have speculated about microsingularities for decades. And it seemed a little akin to if somebody had teased him about human's ability to go into space on deep space exploration it really seemed like look just because you don't have proof of this thing doesn't mean that their research into it or her speculation that it might have had an impact i think you're reaching now (laughs) it's like
1: my my take on that was it was just the tables have turned it's like the vulcans are like time travel is not possible and they're very dismissive of anybody that says time travel is possible and archer was like i talked to a time traveler in the episodes, you know, with the whole time stuff, uh, but the dismissiveness of Vulcans about time travel. This is the exact opposite of humans being like, there is zero proof of microsingularities, and it's funny that you guys keep talking about the theory of microsingularities. I thought that was amusing; it didn't bother me at all. It's like I thought it was just a fun, like, little tables of turn that humans are kind of being dismissive of the Vulcans' idea of microsingularities.
0: But I, but your description there of of that issue. Underscores for me why I don't think Archer would have been dismissive in that way. The idea that he's made a point of, I had an experience that demonstrates a thing, happened, and you dismissed me. And no, but, I feel like no, his, his, his response are to wrong. her. It's, no, but the Vulcans
1: are wrong. It's like the Vulcans don't believe in time travel. Time travel does seem to be true. The Vulcans are wrong. The Vulcans think that micro-singularities are real. It's like in his, I could totally see out in his mind it would be fun to kind of needle her about that because hey you guys were wrong about time travel you're probably wrong about this too so it's like i don't i don't have a problem with that at all i thought it was kind of cute the fact that he was kind of teasing her and needling her about the the Vulcan's obsession with micro singularity <laughs> okay
0: i guess maybe at this point i was having so much trouble getting into the episode that even That's that struck like, me as think, being like what are what is this about why is he doing this to her
1: yeah my my take is your your distaste for the bad setup was just carrying over cuz i don't think this is a that was a big issue at all
0: so the episode continues with a number as matt was saying before a very deliberate storytelling and as opposed to having you know conversations taking place where you know two people are hip deep in a wall panel and trying to figure out like how to reroute power supplies and do all this sort of thing this episode literally has the You should be taking some breaks and sleeping scene. It has Mm -hmm. a dinner scene, which is about Mm -hmm. reheating effectively microwavable meals. Uh, The dinner sequence I thought was particularly nice. It's this very quiet little, we should be keeping ourselves, our energy up. We should be taking breaks. What do you want to eat? And the joke being that they've got survival packs, which actually sound really good. Yeah, they do. Yeah, It's this future <laughs> where it's, it's, you know, bare bones eating includes, uh, meatloaf with mashed potatoes, uh, Chilean, Chilean sea bass, which like the idea of, of Chilean sea bass reheated, like I was immediately like, Oh no, 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 no. Uh, but <laughs> that's the one that Reed picks. And he says, I believe he says it's delightful in his tasting
1: i think there was a little bit of callback there because you remember the episode where sato was trying to find out his favorite food yeah it turned out that he doesn't like fish but he will also eat whatever's put in front of him and the moment where he takes the bite of the sea bass there's a look on his face of almost like a i don't want to eat this and he's eating it and there's this moment of like almost like a silent shudder. yeah but he's like
0: "Eh, it's okay yeah
1: and so it kind of tied back to that whole thing of he will eat whatever's put in front of him and he's just going to choke it down even if he doesn't necessarily think it's the greatest.
0: Yeah. And I think it's a nice touch that in that dinner sequence the to go back to your use of the term deliberate. The pacing is so deliberate that each meal is heated one after the other. It's not that mm-hmm. somebody takes those two things and they like there's no snapping of a thing that then it heats itself or there's no putting them both in a compartment. One goes in, comes out, and then the other one goes in and we see that whole sequence. I really liked yes. that pacing. And I liked, I think that the, while I have issues with particular storytelling moments, I don't have issues with the storytelling as a whole. And I don't have issues with the filmmaking as a whole. I think that the sh- this episode is very well shot. I liked, yeah. especially the interiors of a shuttle, the shuttle pod, where they have to create a, claustrophobic yet technologically advanced survival element and it's Mm -hmm. this place where you feel like they are largely on top of each other they you do feel like okay they're they're starting to bristle at one another especially during the sequence where tucker is trying to get reed to shut up because reed won't stop recording (laughs) logs that are going to be that are going to be He thinks every woman he's ever had, every uh, woman he's ever passed on the street is getting a message, (laughs) and he has these these logs that he's sending. He's he's recording for his parents, for family members, apologies for past things, and trip is like, would you shut up because we need to sleep? Yeah, I thought it was interesting in that moment. If the one element to that scene that I thought it would have added to it would have been if the lights had been out because reed's <laughs> trying to you know re trying to record but trip is trying to sleep if the lights had been dimmed to the point where it's almost unseeable but you just hear in the dark yeah like you could have had a very nice comedic moment of a very dark shuttle shuttle pod very clearly meant to be a sleeping moment and suddenly you hear reed's voice say dear mother and father like it could have been a nice well it could have been a nice this, comedic this, punch in that moment
1: yeah th- i think what you're the reason i like this episode so much is all of what you're talking about right now so it's like i totally get your nitpicks of the setup and the other issues you were bringing up but that's such a small part of this overarching story that you're talking about like if, if you got a 42 minute episode two minutes is the stuff that's kind of like ah eh, really and then 40 minutes is them in a shuttle pod <laughs> and it's like that's the 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 meat and potatoes of the episode i thought was done really well between the two of them in the shuttle pod how they interact with each other just the evolution of how what they go through the entire time they're there mm-hmm. and that running joke of just read just recording message after message after message and at the point where he wakes up uh, where a uh, trip wakes up and says here's him doing that one message to one of these women that he's like And I think about your smile. Yeah. (laughs) He says, why don't you just record one message and change the name at the beginning? Because this is like the sixth one of these I've heard. And they're all the same. He goes, no, there's subtle differences. I would never say it was her smile. It was her eyes. And it was just like this wonderful like sadness in Reed because he's like saying he's recording all these messages to women that sound like he may have gone on two dates with this woman. Yeah, and this woman will get this message at some point and be like, "Who is this?" Yeah, I barely remember this guy, and he's recording these messages to very superficial relationships he's had, which just shows how kind of sad he is as a human being. It's like he's he doesn't have close connections, right? And that's why that's what I was really enjoying. With here's Trip, who feels like he has something to live for and something to go after, and then here's just this morose. I've I've lost everything and the people he's recording messages to, including his parents where he's like, I can't believe you told Archer that you didn't know I was coming out to do this thing. I told you this yeah. stuff. Yeah. It shows that there's a disconnect between his family relationship is fractured and then the relationships he's recording messages to are so superficial. It's like, Oh Reed, you're such a, I feel so bad for you. Reed. Yeah. <laughs> it's just this is this, I love that aspect of the character
0: development. Yeah. For me, the, you, all the parts that you're referring to as being like the, the meat and potatoes of the episode and, and the heart of the episode, yeah. I agree with. And, and for me, the problem is that the the setup and and some of the mm-hmm. particulars of the moments were completely unnecessary to have these moments. Imagine if the story was, the shuttle is going off to do its thing and the Enterprise is going to be doing something else. They have a plan for a rendezvous at a later point. The shuttle has an accident at a deeper location and loses its ability to travel and communicate and do everything like that and is not coming back and finding a rendezvous point they're just lost in space they're just trapped right. out there and then the enterprise is called away for an emergency thing where they're en route to this emergency response which is clearly a critical moment and Archer then finds out they've lost contact with the shuttle. And now he's at a point of, as captain, I know I have to go do this thing because I'm talking about saving dozens or hundreds of lives, as opposed to the two people who signed up for dangerous duty and you are in a shuttle shot? pod. And I just need to make sure I do the first thing first, and then I can go back and find them. You could have had all of the same moments on yeah. the shuttle that they have without it being <laughs> this kind of weird like assuming the enterprise has been destroyed like like that doesn't add this them thinking the enterprise has been destroyed doesn't add anything to what they do on the shuttle i i disagree which we'll get to in when we get to the end i disagree with that
1: but i do agree the, the setup was not well executed right but that's like two minutes of storytelling and i kind of I kind of give them a pass on that because the rest of it I thought was so good between the two of them in the shuttle.
0: So the next step is that the shuttle pod now experiences a micro singularity impact where it passes through the ship. I think it's a nice element of danger where it passes through the ship and creates two pinholes mm-hmm. in the fuselage that if it had passed through either of them would have killed them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the idea that there are these things out there that have that potential for danger is a really nice element uh added to this the story at this point. And they have a I think it's probably one of my favorite scenes in the episode where the MacGyver scene. Yeah, <laughs> they end up having to use mashed potatoes to plug the holes. And and it's a whole the the moment of how do you even find the holes and trip releases the uh nitrogen mm-hmm. into the air so that it produces a cloud and they can actually see where the gas is being sucked out of the the ship this of course impacts the amount of air that they have left it's damaged one of their oxygen containers and they have less than 2 days air left at this point so now they've entered extreme survival mode and they decide to lower the temperature in the ship to a few degrees below freezing which will then help them conserve power on the air recycler, so it'll give them a little bit more time at this point they are finally apparently on the same page and are working together to keep the ship together as best they can but they are also limited in what they can do and so they break out a bottle of whiskey that Tripp <laughs> says was a gift that Archer planned to give to somebody, but he doesn't know who. He can't remember who. And and this was an element of of like, well, that's convenient. Just a bottle of whiskey left aboard a shuttlecraft. Like, okay, you just wanted a bottle of whiskey on the shuttlecraft. So they're <laughs> once trying again, to, I,
1: Once again, I think you've, you're nitpicking at the tiniest things. Like, who cares? I thought that was another cute little... I, was, I thought
0: that was funny. It's, it really is... Find that they had a bottle of whiskey. I have no problem with them having a bottle of whiskey. It's it could have been anything at this point that could have come out that didn't belong as survival gear. Mm-hmm. And my response was going to be the same. I'm just like, I'm like, oh, come on. Like mm-hmm. it was getting through this episode for me was a really kind of a of a bit of a chore at this point. Cause the scenes that worked for me, uh there weren't enough of them and and we actually glossed over one of the scenes that i did want to bring up so we'll have to kind of loop back to it now there's a dream sequence
1: yeah okay this is where i'm going to agree with whatever you're saying because i thought this dream sequence was uh tasteless
0: (laughs) yeah this episode doubles down and i mean literally doubles down there's two scenes around to paul where reed first dreams about her and the dream is presented as a they think they're in danger they are arguing about taking a break they go to sleep and then reed wakes up and is back aboard the enterprise with archer and flox and to and archer and flox both disappear the conversation is very clearly one-dimensional so it's not a surprise that he is asleep mm-hmm. and they get right into it with to sitting beside reed in the medical bay and she just begins to hold his hand and lean in close and respond to his jokes and there's very clearly a sexual tone to the whole thing and as matt said it's tasteless it's just it's it didn't have to be sexual at all it it didn't have to be sexual at all it could have been she shows up and brings him She's like, oh, and and I'm glad you're feeling better. Here's a Chilean sea bass. She could have handed him,
1: uh, it could have been or any kind just, of
0: weird moment that could have broken Part out. Part of the thing that
1: I thought was, there's a tie back at the end of the episode, but there's a, the way she starts giggling and laughing in his dream, and he keeps saying stinky, stinky, and it's yeah. making her laugh. It's like they could have had something like that. It just didn't have to be sexual. It could have been to Paul standing there, saying something to him, and then he made a response, and she... Smirked, and he was like, "Wait, did you just laugh?" Right, and then he could say the thing again. She could giggle, and then he could have w- woken up. Right, it's like it didn't have to be sexual at all. It could just been a, a quirk. Is like Vulcans don't laugh, so here she is laughing in this dream. That's totally fine. But the right. fact they made it sexual was completely tasteless.
0: So the two of them are drinking the whiskey that they found. They are huddled under blankets. There is a gallows humor tone mm-hmm. to the end of the episode where they trip at this point has like there is a list of boxes i've checked them all there's nothing else we can do yep and they are simply trying to survive and at this point the the lack of oxygen they're looking at literally hours worth of time left and they managed to get the radio working and that's when they've picked up the they pick up the enterprises signals for the first time and it gives them the eta of two days away they have no way of reaching that goal and in a desperate attempt to attract the enterprise's attention they decide to eject the impulse engine and rig it to explode because that will create an an energy blast big enough that the enterprise will detect it on their sensors and this is again you know at this point listeners you have heard me nitpicking the episode um at this point they're literally copying the original series Galileo 7 episode this is Mm -hmm. and again it's it's a moment where as I'm watching it that is enough to bring me out of the episode and see it as a thing I am watching on television as opposed to a thing I am experiencing. So that for me was another jarring moment of like, just okay, are you just like cribbing from other episodes that were well-received? Using that to get the attention, okay, fine. They need to get attention some way. They use that to get attention. Then we reach the point where Tucker decides that the next level of sacrifice needed is he needs to sacrifice himself so that Reed can be the one survive to to survive longer he could have potentially close to two days worth of air if Tucker isn't there breathing half of it and they end up having a confrontation as Tucker is literally trying to climb into the airlock and Reed pulls a gun on him to force him back down and there's the conversation of what are you going to do shoot me uh Mm -hmm. and Reed I thought it was a nice touch he kind of like quickly double checks the phaser and says no it's on it's on stun it's <laughs> like, like he's not going <laughs> to accidentally uh phaser yeah. phaser uh read uh trip to death and so they have this moment of confrontation which i thought was well i overall i don't like the episode i feel like like i said before the storytelling all the structure of the storytelling, the particulars for me don't work, but the structure of the storytelling works. So that by the time they get to this confrontation, it really does fit. Like mm-hmm. they're, they're coming to that point of confrontation at the end. Did make sense to me.
1: Well, this is also the scene that I wanted to tie back to because your explanation of they could have just been stuck in space. The whole thing of them thinking the enterprise was destroyed wasn't necessary. This is why I disagree with that because, uh, Reed basically talks about how he admits, I've never had deep relationships. I don't get to let people get to know me. I don't get to know other people. Enterprise is the first time I feel like I've actually started to kind of open up and let people into my life. And he basically admits the only people that are close to him in his life were on the ship that was destroyed. And knowing that ties right back into his morose beginning of the thing of like, ah, oh, what's the point? He just lost every family member he's ever loved it's like he's not close to his own family he's never had deep relationships with women and all that stuff has been coming out in the first part where he's reading all those (laughs) obnoxious letters and so it's like for me that was the payoff of why the enterprise had to be destroyed because it destroyed Reed and so that to me was kind of that character point for him Of his character development so if you take the enterprise being destroyed out it does affect the storytelling of his character development over the course of this episode and that's why I kind of disagreed with your point of you didn't need it at all I think they did need that
0: for for this kind of character development for him right I think that this kind of character development could have still taken place it felt like the motivations at the beginning were tied to what was supposed to be deep personality traits as opposed to goals. And I felt like if you have goals that are in conflict with one another, you could have had the same story, you could have had the same storytelling and the beginning would have worked better for me. His goal at the beginning is to give up, and that to me doesn't sit properly. If his if the argument at the beginning had not been about nihilism versus motivation, if it had been different motives, and trip is saying pick a star we're going that way and reed is saying no we need to stay here and figure out who did this to them we need to we need to figure out who did this and he wants to Mm -hmm. investigate this damage if they had initially gotten there and said like oh that looks like the enterprise has been destroyed but there's also alien stuff over there somebody attacked them somebody did this if reed's immediate response is they were attacked they were sabotaged and if they're in a location where they're waiting and there's Mm -hmm. another alien vessel coming along and reed's entire thing is like what can we do we've we've got a it looks like it's the same kind of ship this is the potentially the people who did this to enterprise we need to do something to them and trip's entire motive is we need to go find help we need to like that to me would have been a more interesting setup and you could have still had it come to then a point of him saying Tripp and him arguing and Trip saying like, why are you so dead set on believing that they were all murdered instead of it being a terrible accident? And his response being, because I need to exact revenge because these are the only people I cared about. You could have had mm-hmm. the same conclusionary moment that you've talked about, but a setup that I feel like would have worked a little bit better than just a pessimistic, oh my God, well, here's where we die. The mm-hmm. eor moment of it doesn't work for me, but a mm-hmm. slightly different skew to it potentially would have um okay. so that's that's you know kind of like again i feel like uh i'm rereading the episode to an extreme degree <laughs> yeah. uh we have what we have they they end up making decisions about like okay if we're gonna if we're gonna make it we're gonna make it together if we're gonna die we're gonna die together they huddle up they're drinking the last of the whiskey they're talking about uh and again a nice bit of writing a nice scene when trip talks about the one girl who might have been the it girl and he talks about her and it turns out that reed is like oh yeah i kind of got together with her numerous times because she was a waitress at that bar right and a nice little that is the bringing together of their pasts in a similar way that their future their now has been brought together in this way of of potentially passing together And i thought that was a nice a nice uh, bit of writing
1: so they end up i was gonna say one nice little thing i found in my research on this episode that woman they talk about makes an appearance in a later episode
0: somebody to look forward to (laughs) (laughs) and the the whiskey is finished they end up falling asleep and it's also bitter cold so they're probably suffering from hypothermia at this point their bodies are shutting down they probably pass out they wake up in sick bay again the exact same setup this is the callback now to the dream sequence and mm-hmm. we have the same setup where archer and Flocks are both like blah 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 you're doing okay we got you back and then read into paul have a moment uh another element of this that we've passed by just like we passed by the original dream sequence before they are found they have a conversation about to paul's butt this, this is this is this is the whole tasteless anything with the
1: Tapal stuff in this was just tasteless, tasteless tasteless. Taste. This is in the', time the conversation down, was I was going on. To. I'm like, can we not objectify your yeah. sub commander on your ship? It's like that <laughs> it was like, what are you guys doing?
0: Yeah, this is the definition of harassment in the workplace this yep. is this is a conversation that it, as Reed is pushing this, this would be grounds for trip to go to h r and say uh he was making me feel incredibly uncomfortable in the way he was talking about a superior officer Mm -hmm. this is not good this is this is toxic behavior and they and it should not have happened in the writing shouldn't happen in the real world but it shouldn't be portrayed in the way that it is in this episode so thumbs down for that so now they're in Sick Bay for real and Reed has his moment with DePaul where it's supposed to be this kind of connective moment we're supposed to feel good about what's about to happen but um the earlier conversation with Trip and the scene in the dream sequence make this ending a little bit like okay can we just get past this because it feels awkward in a bad way but it is supposed to be the kind of coming together of reed is reunited as matt has pointed out this is the family that he feels he didn't have and so this moment of him reconnecting with everybody including to paul whom they are terribly objectifying her as a woman but there is still the element of She's a Vulcan on a ship with humans, and the humans are trying to figure out like how does she fit into what we are thinking on some level as a family, and so that that is the conclusion moment of this episode for me.
1: Yeah, the, the end. Were the, I I agree with you that the callback to that previously uncomfortable dream he had earlier is problematic, but I also liked this moment because it was cl- clear to me, my interpretation of it, that Reed was testing to see is this a dream or are we really rescued yes yes and so when he tried to get to paul to kind of go down that dream path again it wasn't that he was hoping she would it was am i i'm trying to make sure i'm not dreaming now i really want to be back i have to confirm and when she basically says like whatever and walks away yeah he gets that little smile on his face of like things are normal it's like it's like i loved i loved the fact that he was probing to make sure it wasn't a dream because he really wanted to be back with his family which i thought was a very yeah he nice thing.
0: absolutely in that moment is testing am i dying and don't realize it Yes. and and i think that her being not cold but being a vulcan in that moment makes him feel at home and so that's yes, exactly me is the nice moment of like yeah this is the family this is the adopted family he's been trying to craft yes. and yep. he doesn't need warm touchy feeling like his parents in the previous episode who seem so cold and standoffish it kind of makes sense that he might be on a level attracted to de paul who is a yeah, sort of like uh, he, he can <laughs> kind of like i can i can understand this i can get this um yeah. so i thought that that was a nice moment so overall i think it's pretty clear uh episode gets a thumbs up from matt it gets a very mixed thumbs down for me i i if somebody was to say to me, is this an episode worth watching? I would say yes, Mm -hmm. but it had, it trips over itself. I feel a couple of times. And I think that, uh, as we've described and, and through my various rewrite suggestions, the, (laughs) there are, there are moments that I think you could have still kept all those really strong elements and strengthened the starting point and excised stuff that, like the dream sequence, like it shouldn't be sexual at all. Conversation around both shouldn't be sexual yeah. at all.
1: It's a thing we've come up with on previous episodes where we generally like the general direction of the episode, but there's some sloppy storytelling that kind of screws things up. So yeah. I totally get where you're coming from. And I agree that there is some sloppy storytelling, especially at the beginning, and then the sexualized stuff that was completely unnecessary. And it's a sign of the times, sadly. Yeah. Um but overall it's like I like like you said I give it a thumbs up because there's so much wonderful character development everywhere else in the episode I just really kind of yeah it endears me to those two characters I think that's part of the reason why I liked it so much
0: and something else that could have happened that I think would have strengthened your point of uh, this is the family he's connected to more than anybody in his life and mm-hmm. it could have replaced the element around sexualizing and the conversation around her body could have been in talking about the crew that they now think is gone if trip had said something about I'm even finding that I'm extremely sad in a way I didn't expect about to Paul and then Reed could have reflected back to him a sense of oh I completely understand that because I get her i understand her i and i don't i don't have problems being around a vulcan because a vulcan i kind of understand how to read them and Mm -hmm. it could have like all of the scenes could have been in there but if the scenes had just been twisted a little bit to make them Mm -hmm. work a little bit instead of again this is this is an element where i feel like paramount uh upn was standing behind them and saying push the sex and yes yeah I agree. Please don't push the sex. So closing, uh, closing moments of the episode. We usually like to take a deep dive, but today I think we have a double deep dive. Ooh, Matt, you wanted to to share something first.
1: Yeah. For me, it was, I'm fascinated by filmmaking. And so like, I wanted to kind of take a look back as to like how the episode was filmed and how it was received by the cast crew and fans. And, one of the things that came up was um, Dominic Keating, who plays Reed, this is one of his favorite episodes. So whenever this has come up in interviews, this is one of his favorites. And you can understand why because there's so much character development to it. And as an actor, this is the kind of stuff that you really want. A a script you can really chew on. It allows you to really kind of show the characterizations that you've come up with for the person you're playing. Um, Typically, we're just running around shooting phasers and, yeah, there's not a whole lot of character development you can do. So it makes sense why he was so attracted to it. But one of the things I thought was fascinating was um, Dominic Keating had tried out for the show Star Trek Voyager and he had not gotten the part. And so he thought he had just totally botched, totally botched it. And uh, he wasn't aware until shooting the episode Shuttle Pod 1 when Rick Berman came up to him and said, you know, I had your photograph on my desk for two years (laughs) after the audition for Voyager. And he said, my response to him was, you could have called <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny it's like they they were so impressed with him he wasn't right for voyager but they really loved him and okay. so when enterprise came up it's why he was pulled in because they liked him so much and it was just i just love that little moment of he had no idea that it, it, he was so well respected by one of the creators right. until that moment and then the other thing was the the scenes with them cold and shivering and you could see their breath i was fascinated like how did they do this yeah because it, it's like the show had a doesn't have a huge budget they're not going to cg the breath because at that time it would look super fake so clearly they had done refrigeration in the, the space and what they had done is they had basically built they had built an igloo over the shuttle pod and then they used i think it was six air conditioning units to drop the temperature as well as dry ice mm. to get the igloo so cold they were only able to film for several minutes at a time before they would have to pause, take a break, warm up, go back in, film more. Right. So it's like, I love the fact that they got them shivering and talking to each other felt very authentic Yeah. and it looked real and it felt real. And yeah. part of the reason it felt real was it was real. They really were genuinely cold. And, and of course they're amplifying their shaking, but like, I just love the fact that they took it to that extreme to really get the authenticity of them slowly freezing to death in the shuttle pod.
0: Yeah I think that it was very effective and I agree with you I had the exact same moment of partway through one of the frigid scenes thinking how did they get that breath in there that doesn't look like CGI and they, they look th- cold they look cold <laughs> but more than cold yeah. they look in pain at moments yeah. they are they are having pained moments of uh there's a couple of moments where they transfer the bottle of whiskey from one to the other and it looks like both of them are having trouble getting it safely to the other person because the hands are shaking so badly and uh i'm sure they did magnify that but there's also an element to it that they don't look comfortable like by any stretch of the imagination
1: like when one of them gets up to go to the um the the bay to see how much oxygen is left i think it was reed that gets up Mm -hmm when he gets up and he's shuffling over to the control panel, the way he was walking and moving and then trying to keep his hand in the blanket as he's punching, it didn't feel like just pure acting. It felt like he was trying to actually keep warm and it felt very real the way he was doing it. So that's what spurred me to look into, like, how'd they film this? Because that looked real. Yeah.
0: Yeah. For me, the deeper dive I wanted to go into was not about the episode itself, but about something that I think is a story that is a similar story and it touches on, in my rewrite envisioning of this episode, I mentioned if they had not been set up at the beginning as demonstrating core personal character traits but having different motives that would be coming into conflict with one another, I felt like it would have worked better. There's a TV movie from 1996 called the cold equations and I think that this movie actually does do what I'm suggesting this episode could have done and this movie starred billy campbell who people will remember from the rocketeer and poppy montgomery and daniel roebuck and daniel roebuck plays a a smaller part there are a few other roles in it but for the most part this is a two-person story very similar to this episode and the cold equations is based on a short story that was written decades earlier and it's the story of campbell plays lieutenant john barton he's sent on a special mission to this to deliver medicine to a distant mining mining colony and he's infuriated to find lee a stowaway aboard his aircraft and the issue is the movie crafts a future which i think we are identifying now in things that are are being developed in our current um lived experience around 3d printing and space travel the efficiency of space travel in this future is that the craft is given only enough fuel to match its precise needs so when he discovers he has a stowaway she has added weight which is throwing off the entire travel ability of the spacecraft to be able to land safely on the mining colony and they have roughly a day to figure out what to do and he is immediately as soon as he reports back I've got a stowaway he's immediately ordered by his commanding officer you've got to throw her off the ship and so it becomes a morality play of the two of them he has been ordered to kill her and he's looking for any way to avoid that and they have not conflicting character personalities but they have different motives his is to he's supposed to do a job she's looking for a better life and those two things have come into conflict this is a movie that I remember seeing uh close to when it originally came out I probably did see it at some point in the late 90s it was originally broadcast on sci-fi channel and it is available now if anybody is familiar with Pluto TV which is a free television streaming app and you can get it for game consoles you can get it for roku you can get it for i believe uh most streaming devices would have the ability to get pluto tv or you can just watch it on your computer or even on your phone um and i after watching the episode shuttle pod one i ended up Looking for cold equations, I, I remembered the movie. I looked it up. I saw it was on Pluto TV and I ended up watching it the other day. And it, it is very much a made-for-TV movie. It feels dated in that way. It feels like a made-for-TV film. But I think it does a really good job telling a story and the acting between the two leads who are going through all the levels of first anger and then bonding and then hesitantly realizing that one of them has to be doomed because of the situation they do a really good job with it and it feels to me like it you could take that movie and perform it as a two person stage play and it could be extremely compelling so I think it's a good movie to check out and I recommend that to people who are who were fans of this episode I think it's worth checking out and I would love to know um I guess my closing question is. Are you familiar with The Cold Equations? Have you checked it out? Or if you do check it out, what do you think about it? Let us know. Matt, do you remember that movie? Have you seen that?
1: I don't, but there's a modern movie that is basically the same exact thing called Stowaway. It's on Netflix. It came out this year with Anna Kendrick and I think Tony Collette, a couple other actors. It's four characters on a ship and one of them is a stowaway that throws off the mission to Mars and one of them is going to have to die. Mm. And so there's this morality play of what how do you handle that it's a it's a very well executed movie i'd recommend watching that one
0: so there's another one so you got the made for tv version from the 90s if you're into uh, some of the retro sci-fi of that era and then there's the new one on netflix let us know what you think about those as a reminder you can go to pod.fan slash trek dash in dash time you can directly support the podcast or you can keep doing what you're doing right now just open up those ears or watch us on youtube don't forget to subscribe share us with your friends leave a like leave a comment matt do you have anything you want to share with the listeners before we sign off
1: just check out my uh youtube channel undecided where i'm talking about interesting sustainable technologies every
0: single week and as for me you can check out my website seanferrell.com you can also find my books through amazon barnes and noble or your local bookstore i encourage patronage to local bookstores and public libraries so look for my stuff there as always if you have any comments or corrections please reach out we love to find out that we've described a phaser tube and what we meant was a photon torpedo let us know when we flub up and thanks so much for listening everybody we'll talk to you next time